Hi guys, and welcome back to another episode of the Green Dragon Podcast. I'm your host, Aiden. And your fellow host, Tom. And we have a new guest this week. Um, his name is John Gastron III. Um, he is a good friend of mine. We were classmates in school and then um, roommates after school for quite a long time. And then he moved back to Virginia, his home state. And he's been rocking out some new business plans. Um, right now, he uh, he's uh, starting up his new business called Cooking with Gas. Um, and he's starting out a brand called Gastronomical Sandwiches, which is super exciting. You should go uh, follow him on Instagram. He's uh, making some awesome... Like, uh, Cubano sandwich he's trying out, he's getting the grill fired up, showing people how to make bread. Um, yeah, so he's awesome, and we're super excited to have him on this week, and uh, I think you'll enjoy hearing what he has to say. Howdy. Thank you, Tom, for that introduction. Yeah, John, we're excited to have you on. Actually, with that introduction, um... I'm curious, uh, what got you? What got you started? Uh, you know, uh, and interested into into sandwiches and bread and all that. I, I want to know. I, I like to hear. I like to hear. You know about people's passions and and what like drives them to to get it or what makes them get into these things. Yeah, well, for me, like sandwiches started as a kind of like mid college project where I was trying to further learn how to cook and. Like you can't mess up a sandwich. Like I I tried and uh, for the most part, they're pretty fail safe and you can just pull whatever leftovers you got in your fridge and slap it on some bread and with a few techniques, you know, everything turns out slapping. That's awesome. That's awesome. So what, what's the go-to? I mean, like if, if you had to, if you had to, if you had to, we'll just we'll throw this hypothetical out there. If you had to pick one sandwich to eat for the rest of your life, what would it be? It would probably be a BLT, just like some hearty sourdough bread, tomatoes from the garden, nice aioli, and some like thick cut bacon. Are you going with um like a hickory smoked bacon? Or are you like yeah, what? Definitely, okay, definitely hickory. Hickory smoked. All right. Fair enough. Fair enough. That was a good answer. We, you can move on to the, the next part of the show here. Um, so, uh, so cool. Well, how about baking? Because I, for one, am a horrible baker. Um, is there, did you just teach yourself how to bake or is this something that like somebody in your life taught you? looks like yeah i learned like after graduation is when i probably learned how to bake okay sorry um yeah so baking opened up in lander lincoln street bakery and i got a job there right after graduation and i was just uh playing with dough and making croissants and uh croissants are very interesting because they're like a combination of butter which is temperature sensitive as well as yeast which is alive and so playing with that 
uh, really taught me how to bake. That's fascinating. I think um, I'm probably too in, impatient and, and probably don't have a have enough uh, enough willingness to to mess up a few times to to be a good baker. Um, the most I will do is is bake cornbread. Um, I, I make good cornbread and that's about it. Um, yeah, that's the extent of my baking knowledge. I can make pancakes, but that's not even baking. So, you know, I tried to make a cake once and uh, it was, it was another failure. So, you know, I can't, I can't speak too much to baking, but that's pretty cool. That's a, that's a, that's a neat, um, a neat hobby. Well, and you know, passion to have, I think, um, I think, does it, does it like, be honest with us, John, does it, does it help you out with the ladies when you can make a nice sandwich or a nice loaf of bread? I mean, I'm just thinking uh, it's a certain time. I'm, I'm still waiting, man. <laughs> <laughs> you haven't found the right one. Come on, man. there's got to be girls out there that are interested in in a man that can bake, right? I mean, am I wrong? Uh, probably. You, I just haven't you don't get found you don't get yet. like you don't do you, do you do you post your bread or sandwiches on any social media? I do. Yeah, I think they just come across and they're like, this dude is too hyped up about his food that there's no room for me in this equation. I just so, don't think you found the right girls yet because uh, I feel like there are some girls out there that would be very hyped. Um, yeah, probably not. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, what we'll help we'll we'll help John out here, guys, and and we'll try to we'll try to find him some some ladies that'd be into his into his baking skills. Because really, I mean, that's something that a woman should appreciate. Um, I mean, a man that can bake, a man that can make a sandwich. I mean, that's that's some talent there. Yeah, I'd hope so. And I can personally vouch for John that his sandwiches are bomb bomber like like if you need the best sandwich in the world you go to johnny g he's he's gonna slap you up something amazing you can pull anything out of the fridge and just make it like the best meal you've had in the week so um yeah john knows what he's doing for sure well that's good that's good good to know john you don't do like um you don't like ship to the to the lower 48 do you yeah dude if you'll if you'll buy it, I'll ship it. <laughs> is it is it overnight or is it like does it dro get dropped off on my doorstep by like drone? How does it get there? <laughs> Will it still be fresh? Is my question. Uh, Jettle. <laughs> I'll just start air dropping them. You start air dropping them. Perfect. I love it. I love it. That's great. That's great. Um, well, cool. Well, um, yeah, let's, let's, let's get, let's get into, there's a few things I wanted to talk about today. So I'm excited to hear your opinion, uh, John, because it's always fun to get different people on the podcast and, and hear their opinions on things. Um, this might, this, this is, this is something that, that probably affects your baking these days with, with the egg prices being so high. Um, have, have you guys have you guys noticed what's happening or do you guys have any input on what's going on right now with um poultry i know um the the poultry prices egg prices have been going through the roof along with a lot of other um a lot of other meat and and farm products um and the government's saying at least with the poultry it's due to avian bird flus 
Um, so they're having to kill off large uh, populations of chickens. Um, but this week, I thought it was really interesting. There was a fire at a, um, a poultry farm in Connecticut that killed over 100,000 chickens. And it's starting to get to the point, at least for me, where I'm like, it seems just a little too good. Like, I mean, like, it seems like everything's just kind of falling apart when it comes to this stuff. It almost seems like it could be a conspiracy theory. So my conspiracy theory brain's been going off on all sorts of tangents this week, trying to figure out things. Um, and I do want to get to this in a little bit, but I've been looking into, you know, governments controlling people through through food. What do you guys think about this? Do you think this is just, you know, one big, um, just one big coincidence that we're having so many problems right now? Do you think it's just government failing at providing proper infrastructure? What do you, what do you think is going on here? Um, well, concerning the chickens, I did hear something that was rather interesting this past week. Um, there was a poultry farmer and her chickens stopped laying. They just wouldn't lay eggs. So she noticed that one got out of the pen and was just grazing on the ground and started to lay eggs again. And so she turned, um, uh, she turned her uh, other chickens loose and she noticed that um, they all started laying. So then she noticed that it was the food that they were eating. They wouldn't touch it when they were grazing. So she stopped feeding them that food and they all started laying again. So someone's like, well, what's in the food that's causing this problem? I'm not sure if they found it out yet. Hmm, that's really interesting. I hadn't heard that yet. So potentially, potentially, I mean, that could be something there. If, if the food's been tainted with something that's causing them to, to not produce eggs anymore. Huh. Yeah, that's what they're, they're thinking. And it sounds like it's a countrywide problem. So I'm not sure what's happening, but it sounds like it's the food that they've been giving the chickens. Huh. I mean, I could see that it, quite honestly, if, if that is true, um, it wouldn't be that hard for me to believe that that's, that's uh, either an internal attack on, on uh, infrastructure or if that's a, an external attack from a, com a country like China or Russia or Iran or any of those countries, really. I mean, to destroy our our um, infrastructure as far as food goes and, and production of food and is, is pretty critical to the well-being of our country. So you can pretty easily cripple a country if you're able to take away even a small portion of their food sources. Um, but yeah, I, I do think it's, I do think it's interesting um, that this is going on and it makes me wonder like what the, if we keep paying attention to this, if this is just the first of the the major things to happen, I think that if if this is, I think this is pretty small scale stuff. If it's just affecting, I mean, obviously it's 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 got some impacts as far as um, production goes and 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 prices of food. But if if you're talking like uh, on a on a big scale, if if chickens just stop producing eggs altogether, I mean that would be that'd be crazy. 
or if all, all if there was a if there was a virus released into the the population of chickens that was killing everything off that would also be a a pretty big deal after what happened with covid guys oh i shouldn't say COVID. yeah i wonder i shouldn't say covid we're gonna get pulled um <laughs> we're gonna get pulled <laughs> this is this is not medical advice we were speaking of <laughs> something else this weird thing that comes around and stays around somehow and everybody the flu I gotta yeah, watch I myself. wonder if how many, um, like, if local farmers and like your neighbors, like, how what the production of eggs for something like that is compared to the industrial rate. Because if the the flu goes through, you know, if there is a flu and it goes through, like, industrial birds, then presumably for the most part, your like backyard birds would be okay, you know. And how much would that offset? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I know with like, especially with the industrial birds, one of the biggest problems is if one bird tests positive for avian flu, they kill off the entire, like, whatever's, whatever the house is, and which could be, I mean, upwards of, I, I don't know how much is in a typical, like, um, Tyson, Tyson grow house, but I would assume it in, in the, in the high thousands, right? So they got to kill off every single one of those because it's the potential of infection. Um, but that is a good point. Like, I wonder, I would assume based off just the conditions and how they're being fed, that these birds aren't, they're, they're, they're bred to be meat in most cases or bred to specifically lay eggs. So I would assume that they're probably not as healthy as your, your neighbor's chickens or your local farmer's chickens that are free range grass fed, probably have exposure to probably have a better uh, immune capability than your average Tyson chicken. Yeah, it's kind of interesting. This is, I mean, this is a bit of a tangent, but with the way food prices have gone, um, a lot of restaurants, restaurants have just been crushed by it because if the restaurant has choices, like two choices, either raise your prices which has like a chance of alienating your customers, even though it's kind of inevitable or eat the price gap, you know, the price, which already crushes a like crippled restaurant. Like your margins are minimal in food service. So anyways, with those two factors, um, a lot of restaurants have been going back to farms, local places, not just for like, you know, the feel good vibes, but because their prices are actually meeting the, um, what the the like industrial prices are but it it could be interesting to see like a return to local more nutritious food yeah that's a really good point and you know that's something i actually noticed a little bit um i was going to the store i was buying eggs and actually the farm like the the small like pasture farm raised eggs are now about the same price, at least where I'm at, as your, you know, I'm sure these are just from the biggest farms around, but you're at your average dozen white eggs um, that are just, you know, your basic, you know, extra large eggs. So it, those are about like 419 a dozen here. And the pasture raised eggs are only like 475 for a dozen. 
So I don't know if that has anything to do with that, but you might be right there. You might, it, I think, I think right now, the, I think the big um, industrial farming um, companies are really taking the hit and I'm sure small farmers still too are feeling the pain, um, but it doesn't seem like it's affected their, their overall prices as much, which is interesting. What I find interesting, like in all this, like if you want to, if you want to throw in some conspiracy theory, like what better way to, what better way to control population than, than to raise the prices of food? Because, you know, food is a necessity. It's just like, it's just like gas, right? Um, it's just like, it's just like water so if, or, or any of your utilities. So you have to have it. So if you're able to raise the prices of something that's completely necessary for humans to function or your population to function, then they're going to have to spend their money on it regardless. Right. And so it's an easy way to take, um, the savings out of the pocket of a population and, and control them more because the less people save, the less people are independent, the more they rely on the government. And, and then in turn, you know, you get, you get bigger government, more government programs, more welfare, all this stuff. So I was just thinking about that in, in relation to this and, and kind of from this uh, conspiracy theory point of view, I think it's, to me, it seems like the perfect way to, if, if you were going to control population, the first thing you'd do slowly but surely is raise the prices of food and the necessities to make sure there's saving less and less and less, make them less independent. I, I think you're right, Aiden, because like, that's kind of like old warfare strategies too, like when they seized a town, they just cut off the food supplies. And then once the town was out of rations, that's when they took control. But I mean, I don't know if you guys heard about all of those fires that have been happening across all the food plants across the country. But I think last year, 78 food processing plants were destroyed. Like burned to the ground and they didn't find like who did it or why it happened and it was it's all very strategic too like it was like one almost every week so it makes you wonder because you know if you take america down then everything else kind of falls with it yeah absolutely and and i'm not saying this is the maybe i don't i'm not saying this is the american government colluding um to, to do this necessarily, it could be, uh, in, it could be a internal attack from people that have colluded with Russia or China to, to weaken the United States. I mean, it could be coming from anywhere, but I think it is interesting. We're seeing all these things going on that, that weaken kind of the structures of America, uh, and, and capitalism and, uh, people's ability to have good lives and, and and um you know make a, a decent income and and not just be living paycheck to paycheck i think it's very it's very concerning um i guess that leads into what i wanted to talk about today a little bit and that's we've been talking a lot about the matrix with andrew tate and um how to escape the matrix and and so today i wanted to talk about you know some of the ways that the matrix controls us through through different aspects aspects of our lives, like food, reproduction, um, currency, 
Um, and talking a little bit about a government right now that's actually working pretty um, hard to control their population through currency. We talked a little bit about currency last week in our podcast, um, and we and we spoke in regards to cryptocurrency. Um, we talked about the debt ceiling, but uh, after the podcast, I was I was scrolling uh, through some news articles, and I came across this one I shared with uh, you guys. And I I done a little bit more research after I saw the initial video that I sent you guys, uh, and it was China revealed that their digital uh, yen which is their currency, and it'll be now on a digital platform, will actually have an expiry date. Um, so people will be forced to spend their money rather than save their money. So instead of getting a paycheck and having it go into a bank account and you can decide where that money goes, you get it you know, deposited into your digital wallet and then you're given X amount of time to spend that money. Basically dump it back into the government um, you know, spike, spike, spike spending, um, boost the economy, but then in turn, the people won't have any, any way to really build wealth, which makes them completely dependent on the government. And then next, you know, paycheck that goes in. And the other thing I thought that was really scary about this too, is with their social credit score platform, um, the, the government can just take money out of your digital wallet at any point in time for, for committing what they deem as a crime, um, uh, any sort of infringement of what they deem as, you know, improper speech, blah, blah, blah. I mean, it could be anything, right? I mean, it's, it's kind of scary the level of control they'll have over individuals' um, wealth and income. So I thought that was pretty crazy. I mean, and, and the way things are going, I know we talked a little about a uh, little bit about this last week, Tom, with uh, the World Economic Forum talking about, you know, one world currency and, you know, moving towards that and the downfall of the euro and the dollar and all these these institutions of, of currency kind of falling apart as we see them. And it looks like they're trying to be consolidated. So I just wanted to get your guys thoughts on that. I mean, China seems to be leading the way and and tyrannical um, thoughts and ideas these days. So I don't know if this is kind of uh, something we can be looking at as warning signs in the West of what could be coming. Yeah, well, I, it's interesting that you mention that because I listened to uh, a video a few weeks ago by uh, BitBoy Crypto, and he's one of the leading voices in understanding the crypto space. And he's talking about this company that's called Circle, and um, they're essentially putting together the worst of both worlds of crypto and fiat currency. And they're being heavily supported by the Chinese government and um, Goldman Sachs. So they are um, trying to issue a completely trackable currency that's linked to the U.S. dollar for value. Um, I think, yeah, it's it was pretty complicated exactly what they were doing, but. 
They're essentially just trying to start up their own digital currency in the U.S. I know that a few countries in Europe right now are trying to do the same of starting up a, uh, a digital platform with like social credit scores and all that sort of stuff. It's pretty scary because it's just like another way to pry into people's private lives and take away any form of private property they did have. Um, but, I mean, we can talk about some solutions, but from what I have studied, it seems like Bitcoin is like really the only way to stay out of all of it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it, Bitcoin right now seems like the um, the best way to stay independent. And this isn't financial advice. We should we should uh, throw out a disclaimer. We're we're not financial experts by any means. Don't take anything we say as as financial advice. We don't want you to sue us. Um, but with that being said, my personal opinion is, is that Bitcoin seems like the best way to stay independent and free of institutions that have been put in place to keep people poor. And, and, and I think it's, at least from my standpoint, the way I view it, I see it as a good way to build wealth and and kind of control to a certain extent your own destiny as far as it comes to your income and you're not left to the devices of whoever's in power um now where it becomes tricky is is you know how well the governments regulate this um as far as spending it goes i mean that that, that does pose a a potential you know issue um because if if a government bans it then it's going to be tough to spend it in your everyday typical markets. But, you know, there's, I'm sure there's ways around that. Um, I don't know because I'm not an expert. Uh, I always like to think gold is a it, gold and silver are always fairly safe bets too. Um, but what do I know? I'm not a financial expert, but with all that being said, um, I think you're right, Tom. I think it's when looking at all this stuff, it's, I think it's critical to assess, okay, what can I do now? That's going to be put me in the best position to succeed in, in five and five and 10 years down the line. And if you look at where with things like circle and all these different, these different, uh, scam like corporations and 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 the government controlling more and more and and devaluing the dollar and the euro and all these things i mean it seems to me that the the best way to proceed is is with caution in regards to the current financial systems that are in place i think you should be wary of those and you should you should look to put your money in in alternative investments if you if you can find them and and things that tend to stay a bit safer than investing your money in the latest stock that a senator's pushing i think i think a good way i think here's actually you know what you want you want solid solid advice uh, and this isn't, this isn't, again, this isn't financial advice. Don't, don't come and sue me when you, when you go lose all your money. Um, this isn't financial advice, but 
what I personally like to do is I look to look to see where um, the uh, senators and the politicians are putting all their money and then before it gets big and then just and then I, I saw this guy on Instagram today that he's made like millions off of just betting like betting on on uh, on polit- what I like to call politician stocks. Uh, where the politicians are put because i think all that information is available out on the web i think there's actually even sites that will tell you every time um a u.s politician makes a transaction so it's it's something we're thinking about if you're looking to make a quick buck or lose a quick buck i don't know it depends on how good these politicians are but you know um i'm sure you win some and you lose some but if hey if the politician if nancy pelosi's betting on it I mean, you better believe that she's got some insider trading information. How do you think Paul can afford all these um, male prostitutes that he's getting beat over the head with hammers with? I mean, geez, it's, 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 it's not coming from, it's not coming from her government salary and it sure is not coming from her pension once she retires, because Lord knows that's going to be, that's going to be gone you know, by the time this year's over, because they won't be able to, they won't be able to pay out any of the pensions anyways. So she's making it elsewhere, guys. I'm just saying, follow the money. Follow Paul, when in doubt, follow Paul. <laughs> follow Paul. <laughs> yeah, I mean, to be fair, she, I think, has the best, or he or she, has the best stock trading uh, record ever, I think, somehow. Like they're better than anybody else in the stock market. Yeah, I heard she's better than Warren Buffett. I mean, that's insane. Warren Buffett, like think about that. I mean, that's crazy. I mean, think about all the people that have tried over the years to be better than him. And here's some like decrepit old hag and somehow she's better than him. I mean, I don't even think she has a brain cell left in her and somehow she's the most um, gifted financial um, financial player in, in in history. I mean, it's insane to me. And nobody sees that as a, as a tad bit fishy. She's a, she's actually a role model to all the young women out there. You should be like Nancy. That's what they're telling you. You should be like Nancy. You should, you should be a wrinkly old, old prune. Um, that's also the devil incarnate. Just saying. That's what you should strive for. That's the 2023 woman. That's what you should aim for. Perfection. Nancy Pelosi. Yeah, I think it's interesting that now we're like talking about politicians making money from their positions. Um, because like constant, I mean, back in colonial days, like when, when America was first formed, nobody could afford to be away from their field nation and so like I think it was like they had a session for like twelve to six weeks or something fields is considered a duty you know a patriotic duty what it is now which I think it's just completely gone off the rails. Yeah, I think you're right, John. Um, this is something we discussed a little bit last week. We talked about George Washington. I mean, George Washington gave up a lot. He actually went into some pretty serious debt. Um, 
he uh, never really got out of it, even after he was president. Um, and he 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 wasn't even going to accept the um, the the salary that they were going to give him for being president. Um, that was kind of pushed onto him, which I thought was was is pretty admirable um, because he saw it as his duty to serve his nation. And I think that's how a lot of the the founding fathers took their service in the government. Um, it was a duty. It was a duty to their nation to serve their nation, and they weren't expecting anything out of it. But anymore, I mean, these these politicians, I mean, I don't know what the presidential salary is. I think it's like $200,000, $250,000 a year or something like that. Um, but then you look at you look at some of these presidents and you're like, oh my gosh, like Obama, like Obama is like a, he, he made presidency, presidency turned him into a billionaire, basically. I mean, think about all the book deals he has and Michelle has, I mean, it's, it's crazy. And, and you're like, you're really doing that out of the service for your country or you're doing that out of the service for yourself. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's pretty, I mean, it's pretty crazy. You, you see some of these guys and it's like, or I mean, even if you look back at, um, like Bush, I mean, some of the kickbacks they were getting from special interest parties and I mean, all this stuff that these politicians are involved with. Um, it's, it's pretty sad to see because it, I think it takes, I think if you really wanted to fix the problems we're having in our government, I think you'd take the money out of politics. Um, but at this point, I don't think there's any way to take the money out of politics because if you took the money out of politics now, nobody would do it um, because I think everybody's selfish. I think there's very few people that would actually be willing to serve their country for little to no pay. And um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's sad to see. Cause I think it, I think it, it you know, it, it, it pretty much destroys any, any hope of um, honest people being, being in the government and, and being in charge. I think it pretty much destroys that. Yeah, I mean, I hear you on the, uh, the like take the money out of politics. I do think there are like some up and coming congressmen and senators that are young and like actually mean well. The problem is there's just not enough, and like you have a lot of older, um, yeah, older folks uh, uh, cemented in there and kind of stuck in ways. But uh, like, I think that there are people that will step up when duty calls. Um, but the, I think that the opportunity, not the opportunity, but the calling needs to be clear and present to them because otherwise for that type of person, it isn't seen as worthwhile. Right. Like I personally am not going to go into politics because I do not think that it would make one bit of a difference right now. However, if, if like the situation were different, then I think I would. Yeah, I think that's I, I think that's a really fair point. I think I think you're right there. I think that's a really fair point. I think it's pretty um, discouraging for a lot of people to see what's going on in politics right now, and I think that's why a lot of young people aren't really, especially people like us, aren't getting involved. Um, it is encouraging to see some young people get into it. I think, I don't know what your thoughts are on 
term limits. Um, I think it does become a, you talked about some of these older, like older people that have been around in politics for a long time, these lifetime career politicians. Do you think that's a problem? Um, when you've got people in their 30 years, uh, do you think it becomes after a certain point, like diminishing returns as far as somebody in politics? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I would definitely. Okay. For that return to the traditional style, like, because I'm of the opinion that limited government is better. So less, the less like you have going on, the better you'll be like, I mean, the world moves fast, but like the legislative body, we shouldn't have to have a, you know, Congress that is in session for the majority of the year. Like that shows that we have too many laws in place to the point where it just becomes inhibitive to the average citizen. Like they should show up, get the job done, go home. And then on top of that, like, I think when you're in politics for too long, you become so like, I mean, you're sim you're swimming in a swamp literally. And like, you can't, uh, it, it definitely becomes hard to distinguish right and wrong. Not saying there aren't people that don't do that do it, you know, but um, you are your surroundings. And for a large part, like that's what DC is. That's a really good point. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think if somebody can go into politics with really good intentions and good and good um good, you know, morals starting out and then I'm sure I can't imagine what it's like being around the types of people that are are um, you know, senators, congressmen, uh, you know, all all the different levels of government. I can't imagine what it's being like being around people that um maybe don't share the the same morals and values as you and I could can imagine that probably wears down on you over time and it makes you kind of fall in line a little bit especially if you don't if, especially if you're the minority of that group I could see how that's you know possibly a, a problem um you know I'm ready to vote for John in, in 2024 uh John uh if if you if you could if if you're look if you're looking this is this is a question I want to ask you though if if you're looking at if if you're looking at uh, American uh, America right now, um, do you think there's a way to get out of the situation we're in? And if so, what is what is it? And I'm not spe speaking specifically politically. Obviously, that would have a big role in it. But what what do you think? What do you think? So what do you think's a way out of the situation we're in right now as a as a nation? First move would be like, do you guys get any of that? I think I broke out for a minute. Um, yeah, but I think I would take out, um, get rid of a lot of the laws and taxes that we have. Because just as a business owner looking to start up, like you have everybody trying to get their chunk from you. And uh, I mean, I'm sure you guys have the same experience, but it's like, it's insane. It's like 5% on a tax on like, you know, a sandwich and you're already only making, you're all, already only going to get like 25% of the 
profits at best from that sandwich. And then like, it's just being chomped away by your federal government, your state government and your local government. And, um, you know, that's just with taxes. There's also like local regulations where, which just like reach too far into your business. So I think the first thing I would change would be getting rid of government and um, laws. Preach it, John. That's good stuff. I mean, if you uh, if you look back at our history, um, we didn't have property income or sales taxes before 1913, which is wild to think about. But just imagine, like, if you didn't have to pay those three things now, how much more you could do with your money and your wealth. Like, yeah, like, as an example, um, I was working on starting an online business in, in school, and uh, since I lived and resided in Illinois, um, I was just looking at those regulations. And just to get some of the startup regulation uh, like permits just to sell online were like five thousand dollars so i hadn't even sold anything yet and there's already that much and that wasn't even like the taxes yet that was just regulation but it is definitely too much and they like your your way of describing it john like chomping in i mean like <laughs> it's almost like they try to suck your lifeblood out of you yeah and i mean um coming from just outside of dc like it's a very interesting culture of everybody pursues government jobs because once you have a government job, the, um, the management structure is just so that you literally cannot get fired. You cannot get fired if you do, do not do your job. If you do the, like if you try to get fired, you can't get fired. And um, that's the structure because the more, and that's a socialist structure because the more government there is, in proportion to actual citizens, the more every citizen is dependent on the government and the more a socialist agenda can be carried out and the less free you are. Yeah, I mean, if I think you're spot on there. Um, if you look at what's going on right now, especially with us, you know, reaching the debt ceiling and getting, um, getting that pushed out for another month or so and, you know, both sides not really talking about how to fix the spending issue, um, how to fix our debt issue, and, and just really talking about spending more money. I mean, it's insane. Um, but if you looked at any other job, I mean, think about this. If you're, if you're um, let's just throw out a hypothetical here. If you're Twitter, right? And, and you're functioning as a company and you're in trillions of dollars of debt and and you have an opportunity to uh, stop spending in certain areas and, and, um, and the people in charge decide that instead of cutting back spending and starting to pay back some of that debt instead, that they're gonna go spend more money, I guarantee you that whole board is getting fired. Um, and, and the way with the way public companies work, if, if the shareholders aren't happy, um, the shareholders can can 
can give the give that give that company their two cents, right? And that's how, and that's how this 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 um, relationship we have with the government should be working. The government works for us; we don't work for the government, right? Uh, and that's and I think that's really fallen out of practice. Um, the government's just just the just the board, and and we can go in as shareholders uh, as and as citizens, we are the majority shareholders, really. And we can go in and, and boot out anybody. We we can boot. We should be able to boot anybody out of government that isn't doing their job well. I mean, that's right. And that seems pretty fair. Um, but it's gotten to the point where the citizens don't even have um, the ability to vote in the people that they want. I think. I mean, just based off some, I, I would say, even if you look back 15 years, the elections, I... I think there's more um, shenanigans going on than than people want to admit, and and I don't think that the people really have a say in in who's running their country, who's making the decisions, and I don't think it, the structure that we have is is working well in a way that um, lends to if somebody's not doing their job in the government that they should be fired. I think you know you've got these these people that have been in politics for 20, 30 years, never done a good job and are still in politics, even though some, you know, even though nobody's, you know, nobody's voting for them. Nobody really cares about them. Somehow they're still in there making decisions and making our lives worse. I mean, it's just, it blows my mind really how incompetent our government is and our politicians are. Um, and if they were an employee or any other comp, like if they were an employee in any company, they would be fired. But here we are, and they're making our laws. And if that doesn't scare you, I don't know what will. Yeah, I, I think it's really interesting because I think, well, coming from the perspective of a student, um, this was something we witnessed at school, I think, to some extent. Like we had great professors, but there were certain issues where the professors had been so removed from um, the world and the practice of business that they didn't understand business. And so they tried to teach us from an academic understanding what business was, which did not work, right? And I think anytime you're removed from your pool where you should be for too long, like you, you can't understand that pool. You can't make judgments on that pool, which is like politicians are isolated from their constituents nowadays. And um, like, sure, there's social media, but like, how truthful or like, I'd have a hard time gauging what was right and wrong and what my like constituents in Stafford, Virginia wanted. Um, and so I just think that you need that return to, um, you know, to your constituents and to, to those term limits. Yeah, that was very well said, John. I mean, I definitely worked that out well with how at school a lot of the professors tried to teach us about things in business without really understanding how businesses work, how the economy works. I remember a few times after class we were uh, pretty upset with what they were t teaching us. Like There was one class we were told that they are trying to introduce this idea of distributism, a new form of economy that's better than capitalism somehow and is not communism 
but their idea was that all the major industries should be owned by the government and that there should be a tax on anything over $10 million in revenue at 99%, and this would be so great for everybody. And I think John and I were like, how in the world are they expecting anything to work? Like, do you know how little money $10 million is? That's peanuts. You can't hardly do anything with $10 million. Like, you can't even make a car with $10 million. Like, the reason why those companies are billion-dollar companies is because they need that infrastructure just to make one product. It's so crazy. Yeah, I think I think the important point you made, John, was the disconnect um, that a lot of these politicians have with with um, you know real people. I think um, it's the same thing we see in schools too, like you're pointing out, um, where you have these. I think I think one of the biggest problems actually nowadays is these professors that be that um, get into these institutions and become professors, but they never have a, a day of real life experience. Um, you know, they go from they go from high school to college to their master's degree to their doctorate. And then they go from their doctorate and they go become a professor in an institution, right? I mean, it's they they never see a, a day in the real world. And you know, I remember I went to I went to a small liberal arts school in Illinois and I'll tell you right now, I had to put up with all sorts of stupid um, liberal ideologies that were just left wing, just you could have, I mean, I mean, pigs wouldn't have eaten that shit. I mean, it was that bad. It was, it was, it was horrible. Um, And, and I'll tell you right now, I mean, even, even the good professors were questionable on 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 some days um but i will i will tell you you could even see the difference in in a liberal institution like that from the professors that were um from what i like to call the system um the education system this this kind of matrix that's been that's been um been around probably or been in the works for uh through for indoctrinating um, the next generation of teachers for for quite some time now, um, but you could tell the difference between those professors that have just been in the system, these young professors that have just gone, no no real life experience, and the ones that you know maybe worked in. I had I had this great professor, and his name was uh, I I don't know if I should say his name. Um, his 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 last name was Musetis. He was he was Greek. He was an international business professor. He worked. Um, he worked in trade and in international trade for over 30 years. And then he went, um, got his doctorate and um, became a professor. And he was an excellent professor, by far the best professor I had in my entire four years. And I don't think there was, we, we, had, to, we had to get the book, but he basically told us to throw away the book on the first day because he says everything we needed to know would be found in the real world. And I really do, I, I mean, to this day, I, I really respect the man. I appreciate a lot of the things he taught me because it wasn't coming from a textbook. It wasn't coming from some, some nonsensical um, ideology that was regurgitated to them in, in, their, in, their, um, in their education. It was, it was real life experience. And there's something to be said, uh, there's something to be said for, for that. And I think that when you have people in positions of power 
they have to have some sort of connection to the real world. And so I think that's why there's so many problems right now in the government is most of these politicians, they are a career politician. They go into politics. They don't experience the real world. We don't, you don't have George Washington's anymore that were um, students of, of farming um, and, and students of, I mean, he, he was a, he was a great, he was a great commander uh, in the, in the British army. I mean, he, he was, he was great at so many things and, and his political career came very last on that list. And he really didn't put much, I mean, it, it wasn't like he spent 20 years out of his life trying to become a politician. He just, he did it out of duty. So I think there's, there's, there's less, I mean, there's less and less and less of those people. Um, so I think it's, it's always impressive to see those people that um, become like give up a lot and be, and, and become politics to make a, make a positive change. And I, I mean, I think that's what was, I mean, whether you liked him or not, I, I think that was what was so impressive about Trump. I mean, man had nothing to prove. Um, he, he was a, a hyper, one of the most successful businessmen of, of our era. He had nothing to prove. And, and yet he, he became president. I mean, I think that's, uh, there's something to be said for for that. Um, I don't think it's, and I think anymore, you know, people, people want to say, oh, you know, you have to have this, this, and this in a politician. I think you just have to have somebody that feels a real duty to their country to, to stand up for what the people want. I think that's what you need. Yeah, Aiden. Um, I mean, this, this is kind of getting into a different question, but um, I want to ask it. Um, I know that part of Tom's and your brand is to educate and restore American values. And I think it's very interesting that that is something that is um, almost returning to the every man now. Like it used to be um, every, every citizen had a patriotic duty, but then like to go beyond it was to go into like the politics or whatever. But now it's like almost a reverse where um, that's returning to us. And like, I think part of that is our generation like we feel a strong sense of like the whole picture um, just probably because of how we've grown up. Um, and I would like to, like, this is one of my goals. Like, I mean, you're making, you know, a couple bucks sandwiches, but like, how, how am I going to change America through a couple bucks sandwiches? Um, but it is one of my goals to, you know, educate my employees and a big tenant. I think of that is, getting at Catholic or Christian, you know, American values and morals. Um, so I guess to, to wrap that up, to ask a question to you and Tom is like, how do you guys see your brand as, um, as fulfilling that? And how are ways that like every, um, every day-to-day -day person could do that, that you think of? I think that's a really good question. Um, forgive me if this is long-winded because I, I don't know if I have a, a, I don't have a prepared answer here, which is, which is probably the best because you get the real answer. Um, but I think, I think it all starts with 
I think it all starts with the individual um, person. I, I, you, you can't have um, a society uh, with, with um, grounded on strong values without a person, the individual person that's grounded on strong values. So I think, I think, you know, what you said um, is important to recognize, you know, you may be selling, you know, sandwiches for a couple bucks, but you know what you said, they're educating your employees, uh, bringing that message that you live your life by to those around you is absolutely critical in whatever you do. Um, and I think that's what we've gotten away from as, as, as a, as a country. Um, we've focused too much on, you know, what we as citizens owe to our country. Um, and we've, we've completely forgotten about, okay, what is, what are my values and, and how do I live my life in a way that represents those values? Um, and, and so if you're able to, you, you might not be doing the most grandiose thing. You might, you might just, you might be a plumber. You might be, you know, you might be us, you know, you know, if, if, if this is a, this is a quick plug for, for our, our born patriotic apparel line. Um, but if you want some, if you want to check out what we do at, at lifeline and born patriotic, you can go check out our apparel. We've got some new, um, cool designs, but we, we come out with, with, with t-shirts and with apparel that, um, uh, on a born patriotic line that represents some of those ideas of, of, um, what it means to be American and kind of those American values. So just, just through simple things like that, um, uh, living out what you believe in, in your daily life, through your business, educating those around you, um, that builds communities, I think, I think, and when communities start to build, um, and they can band band around, um, a shared set of principles, ideas, and morals, I think it becomes something great. And I think that's how our, our, our country started. Um, it was a group of men that, that banded together over a shared sense of, um, of patriotism, of, of shared values and morals, and, and they wanted to create something that was great. And so, um, I think, I think the reason that resonates with people now more than ever is we've realized how out of hand we've let the government become. Um, and there's really no way for us to control them anymore. It's, it's gotten too big for us. And so the best way to make a positive impact on society, on America, to turn around our country, at least in my opinion, is by first looking at yourself and saying, am I being true to myself, true to my, true to my uh, morals, true to my, what I believe in. And then if you start believing and acting out what you believe in, in your daily life, through your business, through whatever it is, people will start to see that they'll do the same thing. They'll support you. You'll support them. Um, and, and all of a sudden it becomes this contagious thing where, where the whole country's doing it. And I think that's, I think that's something really special. And even if you don't agree on certain things, you'll still work together because at the end of the day, most human beings have the same goals and that's to provide for themselves and the ones they love.
and be successful. And I think if, if you, if you look inward at, at what you believe in, I think it's, and, and then try to put that into practice in your daily life. I think, I, I don't think you can go wrong. I don't know, Tom, what do you think? I mean, that was a long winded response there, John, I'm sorry. I'm not a short, I, I don't, I don't, I don't typically respond in short winded things, especially after I've had a glass of whiskey. Um, so I'll let, I'll oh let boy, Tom. You, you should have had some of our professors for college. That would have <laughs> cut it down. <laughs> uh, uh, I'll let, I'll let Tom take over though. Tom, do you have any, do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah. Um, I mean, I really liked what you said, Aiden, because I was thinking on the same train there. Um, you were saying like, it starts with the individual and like, them understanding their values and what they really want in life and that will reignite the fire of the American spirit inside of them. It reminds me of this book I was reading last year. It's called The E-Myth by Michael E. Gerber. Um, I think we you read that one, right, Aiden? Yeah, I did. It was great. Yeah. yeah. Um, there's a part in there when he's talking about um, a well-run business is like a small world that someone can enter. He said that the reason why customer loyalty is like so valuable and why it's such a thing is because when a person finds a business that that's running really well and has good workers or making a good product, they buy the product, they feel at peace around that area is because it's a structure inside of a chaotic world. And he said that the more you can make a structure that will make people feel like they're in a home, he said the better your business will do because you're making a place where things work. You work for somebody and they pay you to work for them. And um, I, that all kind of clicked together when you had mentioned, John, like that our generation is kind of retreating from like the government jobs and going more into the productive economy because when they do that, they're saying that they want to make smaller versions of their own worlds so that will work better. So they take on responsibility for their family and friends, make something that works, work with other people they know, and they make like a microcosm of that American dream. And I think if you make enough of those microcosms, we'll eventually expand out through the whole country and make a transformative change. And that's that's our goal with Lifeline, where, well, actually, John, you're like our first guy um, to become the part of our new phase, which is um, the first mast of our business. We have four masts. The first one um, is building a network of brands that are aligned with American values to make like a new network of commerce for people, the small businesses to sell on our platform and then conservative Americans to buy from. So mass two is re-educating um, ourselves on our American identity. That's the Green Dragon podcast born patriotic and we have a new one called the Liberty Bell. Um, and then mass three is going to be where those people that suggest those brands and those products are going to be rewarded for that, for promoting a good brand, like an affiliate network we're starting up. And then mass four is going to be um, a directory where people can find good organizations and charities support the people that they, they want to help in the U.S. But I, I think we all kind of hit on it that okay there, I feel like this might be the thought that kind of brings it all together um, there's just 
um, speech that Jordan Peterson gave a couple months ago, I think. He did it at the library in Ephesus. Um, that's the town that Mary and St. John uh, lived after Jesus died and, um, or, and went to heaven. Yeah, that part in. Um, so this library was bigger than the library in Alexandria. So it was considered like the center of learning for Western ideas. And he was saying that the Western idea is containing the idea of logos, essentially logic. And that's the idea of the Christian narrative. It's in the Gospel of John. It's the word that came, ordered all things, and then redeemed all things after man destroyed it. So the reason he was talking about that's so important is because he said that as Christians or as people made in the image of God, we are the people that look at a chaos and make order. And the more of a chaos we see, the more the order we can fix. But he said that in a very real way, the way our eyes and our mind are set up, we're only focused on one thing at a time, meaning that has our full attention. Meaning that we're structuring our whole life to order that one thing. So once that thing is ordered, then we can move on to order the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. And he said that essentially, since we're made of the image and likeness of God and we can take on some huge problems, the world could be fixed if we fulfill our potential. Because we have the potential, since we're made of the image and likeness of God, by cooperating with him, we can make that order we see should be there. And so I think that's one of the reasons why like the entrepreneur is so cool to be because you're the kind of guy that's looking at chaos like John. You're looking at the food market and you're like, man, somebody's got to make some darn good sandwiches and I'm the man. Like I'm going to make myself and for others like the best sandwiches and I'm going to sell them and that's going to make that person's day that much better. So this person that bought your sandwich has a better day. The next person has a better day. They're going to associate you with having a good day because you're buying a product from a person that has good intention. And the more that happens from each American, the more people will feel like there's good in the world and there's good coming from people. I think that's how we redeem our nation. I really like that, Tom. Um, I think that I think that summed it up pretty good. Um, yeah, I think it's I think it's um, it, you don't you don't realize this when you when you um, start a business all the time. I think as you see it impact other people's lives in a positive way, um, it goes from being something that you know you you created obviously with the intention of of doing something you know that you loved or or that you believed in to actually seeing it making that impact and that difference and i think that's when it really puts it into perspective like the power that you can have on those around you um just by doing something you believe in or that you love and so i think i think that's really i think it's 
it's kind of the cool thing about being an entrepreneur, being someone in business. I think it, you're right, Tom, it brings organization. I think you become the organizer of the chaos, the, the light in the dark room, um, the hope, you know, the hope for, for mankind. I think it's pretty cool to have, be able to have that individual impact, even if it's on a small scale. I mean, some impacts better than no impact, right? As far as positive impact. I mean, we could take every little bit of it we can get today. So that's, uh, it's really well said. Um, I did, there was one thing guys, I know this is gonna send us down a little bit different track. Um, but there was something that like stuck out to me this past week. Um, and it, and it, it came across on Instagram first and I did a little bit of research, but have you guys heard of Alex, Alice Bailey and her, um, she, she, she was the founder, uh, John, have you heard of her? Okay. So she was the founder, um, back in the early 1900s, uh, she was the founder of the new age movement. Um, and she came up with a 10 point new age plan. And I put this on the, on the doc, but I just, I wanted to get, get your guys's input because I was reading this and I was like, holy cow, this lady is either like, is like still alive, like working her magic as like a witch from, from like some cave that, that we don't know about. Like she's, she's like, you know, like. I don't know, throwing, casting spells on Biden up there. I, I, I don't really know in all the other world leaders or, or she was just, she just really had like, I think the, the <laughs> I don't want to call it foresight because it's not very good foresight, but she really saw where society was going and, and she, she, I mean, she nailed it right on the head. So she had a 10 point plan. This kind of goes into a little bit about what we were talking about um, because I think it's the opposite of what we were talking about to a certain extent. Um, but I'll just run through the 10 points and then we can talk about this a little bit and just where we're at right now. So number one is take God and prayer out of the education system. Number two is reduce parental authority over children. Uh, three is destroy Judeo-Christian family structure or the traditional Christian family, family structure. And then four is if sex is free, then make abortion legal and make it easy. Five is make divorce easy and legal, people, uh, free people from the concept of marriage for life. Six is make homosexuality um, an alternative lifestyle. Seven is debase art and make it run mad. Eight is use media to promote and change mindsets. Nine is create interfaith move, create an interfaith movement. And 10 is get governments to make all these law make all these law and get the church to endorse these changes. So I don't know about you guys, but like, I feel like all those have pretty much happened in the last 20 years easily, if not before then. Um, but the one that really got me thinking about it was actually, you know, all the other ones, obviously, but the 10th one is get the government to make these all a law and get the church to endorse these t changes. And one of the, one of the points, um, I wanted to bring up is, you know, if you, if you look at this list and you look at specifically over the past eight years, what the Catholic church has endorsed because of our, of the current Pope, 
Pope Francis. And you, and you start to look at this list and you start to wonder how many more of these things are going to be endorsed by the church? Because I can name a few on here that you could probably argue that he's already pushing for. Um, he came out this past week and said that basically that uh, homosexuality should be accepted. I don't know what your guys' thoughts are on that, but I mean, these 10 things, just looking at them, guys, I mean, if, if you were to, if you were to look at these, is there anything else you would add to try to destroy the, the pillars, the foundations of society? I mean, this lady's crazy. Yeah, I mean, like, I think the list is very accurate because, like, without God, um, morals, for the most part, are irrelevant. Like, they become very subjective, and that is the foundation of anything that is right and wrong by any system. And, like, if you have no objective system, then that gets into this whole subjectivism, wishy-washy, you know, like, what is truth? And then... Yeah, and then, then you just can't live, um, especially not freely. And I think, too, like the specific attack on the family, I think it was Pope John Paul II said, as, as goes the family, so does uh, society or something along those lines. And so, like, I think, like, the destruction of the family, this is something when I was thinking about during our discussion about government, I think and individual uh, freedoms and values and morals. I think as you destroy the family structure, it's very easy for the government to kind of come in and start to make laws and, and do things um, to try to replace the family. But obviously it's a, the government's a fail, I mean, a failed institution. There's no way that government's ever gonna replace family structures or, the the traditional structure of the family um but i think as soon as you remove that i think the family is so important because as soon as you remove that you remove the structure that society's been based on or that that human beings have functioned since the beginning of time um so i think like if you wanted to destroy society as a whole you just start attacking the family from all angles whether it's um, through divorce, through abortion, um, through same-sex marriage, all these things, right? I mean, all these things are going to remove the um, ability to have a, 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 the ability to have the new, like the nuclear family, the, the traditional, the traditional family structure that's kind of how their society been the glue to society for the last i don't know however long humans have been around right yeah i mean it's it's the start of everything like the natural family is the foundation of anything in this world and like you can't you can't have humans without the family and okay. uh as humans grow uh like all their development is based primarily on like societal um, 
whether that society is like the family or, or it's outside the family. But if everything outside the family is debased, then um, there's no hope for a formed human being. And then you, yeah, then you just ended it. Yeah, exactly. I think it's interesting, the, the formed human being, I think, I think most of us, at least I would, I would say the three of us probably could all agree on, I mean, for the most part, do you guys feel like you gained a lot of the, the moral framework you lived, lived your life's by, or you live your life by, um, from, from your parents, from your family? Would you both agree? on that for the most part. Yeah, 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 definitely. Yeah, so so if you take away that, I mean, it's really easy for government, I think if if we're tying this back into um the 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 failed institution of the government, I think when you when you break down the family, it allows for the government to come in place and become the instructors of of the youth um and and to indoctrinate them into you know whatever ideology they might want to push i mean we it's you you saw it with hitler and the, the hitler's youth um back during the the world wars and um and and that led to many of these many of these kids being indoctrinated into the the nazi ideology from from a very young age. Um, so, and, and I think if you're able to brainwash the young generation, um, the best way to do it is, is first take away any influence that they're, or any, any sort of structure their fam family might provide them because then they'll have to, I mean, children, I mean, we all need, you know, role models, right? And so if we don't have strong role models as parents, um, or strong role models within the family, we'll look elsewhere. We'll look to celebrities. We'll look to you know athletes. You name it, right? And and none of those people are going to be, for the most part, very good role models. And those are things that could be controlled by the government. I mean, just look at t what TikTok's doing to to people from the ages of you know two to eighteen right now. I mean, it's devastating, and and it's scary to think that the government can literally control whatever's on your phone. So. You know, who's not to say that they're pushing some crazy, I mean, they are pushing crazy ideologies. And, and I know, um, you know, obviously TikTok's um, run by the Chinese government. And so Chinese government's probably trying to indoctrinate us too um, with whatever crazy communist ideologies they have as well. So, I mean, it's, I don't know, it's, it's scary to think, but I think like you said, it like starts with the family. I think it starts with the family. And so if you're able to destroy the family, it kind of just opens the door to all these things. Yeah. Yeah. And to go back to the family real quick, I think it's, it's interesting to note that the family exists to be a, um, a natural like collective body order towards the good of individuals. Right. And I think that when you lose touch of that individual human nature, that's when you go awry. And like, um, whenever you have collectivism, like um, people buying into the Nazi ideology, communism, you know, they are buying into that under the guise that it's for the many, right? 
which is like kind of this odd masquerade that it's for the individual's good, but really it's only for the good of a few who you probably don't know who those few are. Um, I just lost my train of thought, but had something to do with the importance of the individual. No worries. I think at least um, how I see it, I think all those things, like uh, whether it was whether it was the Nazis or the communi uh, communist ideology, I think all these things, I think it destroys who we are as as individual human beings, um, like like you were saying. So it 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 basically allows um, whoever's in charge to brainwash the population into whatever they want. Um, and, and when, when people don't have a self, uh, a sense of self identity, they don't have a purpose. And so that purpose can be, you know, reprogrammed and redirected into any direction that the people in charge see fit. And, and so when you're able to take away people's individuality and their purpose in life, you're able to control them better. And I think, you know, I, as you look at all these different, um, whether it's the Nazis or, or the Soviet Union, the goal of all these, um, these parties, and, and you could even look at the current, um, you, you know, US political system, the goal of these parties is to gain the most power possible. And what's the best way to gain the most power possible is to have population that isn't willing to to fight back and so if you're able to reprogram people and take away their sense of identity um individuality then i think it's just a recipe for for um a weak population that isn't able to fight back yeah i think that's spot on um i just like it's interesting to observe some of my coworkers where like they're the highs the highs of their day are when they get to go home and play video games or a meal they had. And I'm like, that, that is their purpose because their purpose has been taken away. And like, I, I feel like I have a higher purpose than that. And so I don't see those things as attractive. Right. But to them, that's like the highest aspiration because they've been like, I think forced into a state of despair because like, I mean, for the average American current financial situation, you don't even want to think about government. You can't do anything to change, which is affecting your whole financial system and your whole life. And so what is there to do but hide from it and pursue that, like, back to, you know, the Romans times in the Colosseum, give them bread and circus. Yeah, that's, that's very well said, John. I, I... I think you both really hit something that I hadn't really thought about, but I think it's really true about how if you don't have a big purpose in your life, then you'll be distracted with a bunch of little purposes that people can just give to you and takes your attention and your time away for long. And then you're trying to find your way, but you don't really have a guiding principle. And that's what the family instills in us is the guiding principle of what our lives are about. Um, that really shows what reality and life is for. Um, and it, it really is sad because it's like, um, 
kind of talking about the matrix again. The government has been programming people to think a certain way for so long. So much so that, like, the government will tell you to see something that isn't there, actually. Or to notice something that isn't there to be there. And, like, they have such a mind control over everyone that people are in a place of, like, well, what's the use? I can't do anything, so I won't do anything. I'll just try to hide away and hope they don't come after me. Um... But in reality, though, this is this is something that really struck me. I think I both mentioned to you guys I've been reading this book called Atlas Shrugged. It's so good. And one of the spots in there, um, there's this guy who made a new type of metal. And he was kind of like the industrialist of the metal industry. And they were slowly taking away his business. They would take this away, take that away. And then finally, they took him to court for selling too much metal to one of his customers because he had to share it equally across everyone who needed it instead of those that could actually buy it. And he was in this court, and they said that he had to defend himself, and they couldn't go on with the proceedings unless he defended himself. And he said, no, I did what I did, and I'm standing by what I did, and you can do whatever you want. And then at that moment, they were so aghast by his response that they said, well, we have to go think about this. So they came back and just gave him a little fine. And he, he knew it. And at that moment, he realized that the people in power, they aren't anybody big or special or anything. He said, they're just a bunch of rats. He said, they just come and try to eat your life away and try to take everything you have. But they aren't actually powerful. And so... When people understand their true power, how much they can actually do, like you listen to some of the stories from Americans, and there are some incredible stories, like the stuff people have done. When, like Hacksaw Ridge is an example, like a little skinny kid saved more than I think 70 or 100 lives on a hill with no guns. And he made, like, one guy did that. Like, if he was told, like, he couldn't do it, well, that would have made him stop. But if you have enough people at the top saying the young, little guys can't do it, that's what makes them stop and kill the momentum. But if you actually inspire them to show them that they are bigger than these problems, that these monsters aren't that big, they seem big, but they aren't that big if you stand up to them, that's when, that's when their lives open up because then they've been given a mission and a purpose. Yeah, I think of um, something you said there reminded me of like some of the saints where where like you can take their, you know, you can take every possession they have. You can take their um, their health, but if they still have their mind and their will, they're always going to be free. You know, they could be shackled and being, being tortured to death, but um as long as you have your will, you are still free. Yeah, I think you're totally right. I think um, 
I think true freedom isn't what a lot of people think. Um, and in many ways, I think we lost true freedom when we, when we gave up our ability to think for ourselves. Um, and we, when we started letting other people think for us and, and we lost that purpose. Um, so I think if we were to look at all of this and, and kind of try to come to a, 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 you know, a, a solution or action point for the, for the average person, it's to look at your life and evaluate whether or not you are living true to yourself and what you believe in, or if you believe in anything, or maybe you should take the time to evaluate what you believe in, because I don't even know if a lot of people understand what they believe in or what they, what they're living for. I think that's the first step. And then once you figure that out, I think that it's taking the action steps on how can I live out that, those beliefs and, um, and then, you know, slowly but surely, I think that'll start to impact others. And that's, I think that's at the, the core and basis of freedom. And I think that's at the core and basis of, of what America was founded on. And so I think that's a, I think it's a pretty, what's, what's really cool about that is it's not that, I mean, it, it's, it's simple. It's, it's difficult, but it's simple. Everybody can do it. It takes effort though. So the cool thing is, is, is there's a solution out there. We just all, it, it requires the individual to take responsibility. There's not a, a government policy that's gonna, that's gonna fix this. There's not gonna be a, how do I say this without getting our podcast canceled? Um, there's not gonna be a, a prick to the arm that's gonna fix a problem. Um, there's not going to be a, there's not going to be a, we get, we got to stop looking for the, for the one thing that's going to fix everything, right? Like that one blanket solution that's going to fix all our problems. Cause there is not a blanket solution to fix all our problems. Like we have to, on an individual level, start to evaluate ourselves, our weaknesses, our strengths, but most importantly, like what we're living here for. And I think um, if more people did that, I mean, just think about all the people on on antidepressants, um, on drugs, uh, people that abuse alcohol, abuse all these different things that numb us from reality. I think so many people are out of touch with reality. And if more people would open themselves up to to themselves and how they feel um uh and and what they believe in uh and and quit allowing themselves to be brainwashed by society by the government by social media by numbed by all their addictions um i think we'd be much better off i think it i think if we all just took the time to evaluate who am i what do i believe in and what am i going to do about it America would be free again. So.
It only, it, it, it seems easy. It only took us an hour and 20 minutes to figure this out, guys. I mean, it can't be that hard to implement, right? Yeah, everybody talk about things. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. It seems so easy now. I'm like, huh. And then I think about my life and then I'm like, well, I don't know, guys. I have my good days and I have my bad days. But I'll tell you what, if, if people want a, like a good place to start, I'll tell you this. So I've been lazy recently. I, I, um, and this past, well, Last week, I decided um, I needed to get back in the gym in the morning because I was making excuses towards the end of the day, and a lot of days I wouldn't make it to the gym. And so I've started five days on all the work days. Uh, it's on the gym's on the way to work, so I go there before work every day. Um, and I'll tell you this: it gives like just even if you go to the gym for 30 minutes right away in the morning before you start your day, like the amount of purpose that gives you like throughout the rest of your day, it's like a, it's, it's better than any like pre-workout you could take uh, for your day. It's, it's better than any drug. You, like people, 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 you know, rave about, you know, all these, all these smart business people rave about them taking Adderall and all these crazy things to make them productive throughout the day. How about you get off your lazy butt and go to the gym, um, quit looking like Bill Gates uh, and, and, and work out a little bit. I think if, if you started out your day like that, I mean, it would, you'd be shocked. I mean, it's, it's amazing how much better I feel to, and, I, I like to think of myself as a fairly active individual, but just doing that every day before work, my mind's more like attentive, stimulated throughout the day. Like I'm, I can focus on things easier. Like I feel like I have more like driving purpose throughout the day. Just if I'm doing one thing, I mean, right away in the morning, it doesn't take that much effort. I don't have that much time. I, I go for like 45 minutes to an hour tops and that's enough to, that's enough to get you going for the day gives you it gives you a sense of purpose so i don't know everybody needs to start seeking their truth get off their ass uh and and work a little bit harder <laughs> eat on sandwiches and eat on sandwiches there you go yeah see then <laughs> see, <laughs> see then see then then you go you work out in the morning you get a workout and then you don't feel bad when you go and eat like three of john's sandwiches then you don't feel like dude yeah like a like then a fatty for your second workout exactly then you're see we're gonna we're gonna have a bunch of people like uh on a on a bulk diet um after listening <laughs> to this podcast john's gonna john's business is gonna like quadruple yeah john all you Hashtag need to do summer's the new bulk season yeah, summer's the new bulk season all you need to find is like three guys that like train strongman or powerlifting and like your like <laughs> monthly expenses are covered man they'll eat like four sandwiches a day you'll be fine you'll be raking in you get like six of them on it you can start marketing your sandwiches as like a powerlifting diet <laughs> 
We can we can market this for you. Easy bulk, easy bulk with John sandwiches. It'd be like it'd be like the new mat. We can we can turn this into like the new mass gainer program. How to get huge? <laughs> Call it the gas gainer. <laughs> I don't know if that's a, we might oh, want to think about this thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. That one that one might not take off, John. <laughs> <laughs> you might get some interesting clients off that one. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Oh, too funny. Well, this feels like a good time for me to to for me to plug another um, born patriotic uh, logo. We're talking about uh, becoming a becoming more in touch with. Um, your morals or your individual morals and beliefs um you should go check out our new design tom designed it he's an excellent designer our new t-shirt um it's an athletic fit t-shirt you can wear this to the gym i love our athletic fit t-shirts uh they fit my you know arms nice you know they're not loose around the arms so you can get to show off the the bicep and tricep a little bit um slim fit throughout the body. So it hugs your chest, makes your pecs look big. Um, I love it. I wore one to the gym today. I wore our, um, our war Eagle design. It was great. Um, but we've got this new design Tom came out with called the warrior of truth. It's a cool design. You should go check it out. Um, like I said, in the athletic fit can't go wrong. And all of us should be warriors of truth. So really, everybody should own this t-shirt. Um, so if you're listening to this and you don't want to look stupid, you should go buy our t-shirt. That's all I'm saying. Um, I'll leave it up to you now. We'll put the link in the bio. And uh, another shout out for John. We'll put his, uh, Instagram handle in the, uh, the description below too, so you can see what he's going, not going on. Yeah. I've been entertained by his videos already from starting to this week. So. And, and if you're a power lifter, one of my power lifting friends listening to this podcast, um, you know, John, can they just like DM you? Um, if yeah. they want to like get on like a, a, a sandwich uh, subscription plan. Yeah. Hit me up. I got bread. I got the nutrition. For your needs cool yeah he can make high protein sandwich. sandwiches yep there you go perfect yeah uh, anything else you want to plug so you've got the you've got um instagram right what's yep what are all the what are all the tags we want to make sure we'll put them all in the link but i just want to this is like your we'll give you we'll give you two minutes to yeah do, yeah say yeah. anything you want anything you want this is your time to shine john I'm not gonna. The best not... sandwich you've ever had. Go to Gastronomical Sandwiches. Um, you can find me on Instagram at Gastronomical Sandwiches. Just search that. I think the username is like Cooking with Gas or something. It'll be in the bio. Um, fresh sourdough bread, most nutritious sandwich you've ever had. Best flavor. You heard it here first. We're expanding to the East Coast and then nationwide. Get it now. All right, I love it. Well, thanks, John, for getting on. Um, I enjoyed having you on the podcast. Thanks for all your insight and thought and your uh, 
your rundown on sandwiches. I appreciate your uh, your your take on this. I'm gonna mm-hmm. now 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 I'm gonna ha- now you've inspired me to go uh, go start making myself sandwiches. Um, I might go eat one now. So guys, we got to wrap this up. Let's make it quick here. Um, thanks for thanks for listening, everybody. Uh, this was a great week, and and uh, I can't wait to bring you more content next week. Uh, but until then, be safe, be vigilant, be a seeker of truth, be a warrior of truth. But most importantly, be a good American. God bless y'all. Have a great night. See ya.